the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. We'll help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub podcast. I'm your host, Michael Camp, and we help people deconstruct from conservative streams of Christianity and find a more historically-based Christian expression or historically-based spirituality or philosophy of life. Wow, what a crazy week and month this has been. Here we are, October 4th, 2020, dealing with the coronavirus the wildfires and smoke that we've been dealing with here out west in Washington State, Oregon, and California, Uh, the contentious presidential debate we had last week where Donald Trump showed showed us his natural bullying nature, and now the president and first lady have contracted coronavirus. Here at the Spiritual Brew Pub, we want to wish the president a speedy recovery as well as the first lady, but we're also very cognizant of the irony of it all and and hope that we as a country can both extend compassion toward the president and first lady and others in our government who've been who've recently tested positive while still calling for change in the way the pandemic has been handled by this administration uh, to take it more seriously and lead the nation towards consistent science-based public health recommendations but, but today we're on a, another topic, and uh, we've got a very special guest with us. Uh, we are about to hear an amazing story from um, my friend, uh, Lang Charters. Lang is a retired major in the Air Force, a graduate from the Seattle School of Theology, a father, a yoga, yoga instructor, and a fellow pub theologian from Seattle, uh, and an author. And we're going to talk about uh, his book today. His book is Falling into Love, The Transformative Power of Community. Lang is also a a doctoral candidate at George Fox University, uh, preparing for a a doctorate of ministry. So Lang, welcome to the Spiritual Brew Pub podcast. Thanks, Michael. It's an honor and super stoked to, to, to get to join you and be on this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you could join us today. Uh, what I like to do is give us give people a little background about how uh, I've I met my guests and maybe we've had our um, stories cross. Uh, Lang um, was part of our uh, pub theology group here in uh, Paulsbo, Washington, just west of, uh, of Seattle for many years. Uh, I remember so many times we used to hang out in, in, in different pubs and microbreweries in Paulsbo and had such a great time. Um, I think uh, you always uh, had some really good questions to bring our pub theology group and uh, really appreciated that. Uh, But you're gonna tell us a story today, uh, an incredible story, a true story uh, about um, uh, your own tragedy that you experienced, uh, survival and um, how a loving community really helped you uh, recover from this from an from an accident. So, um, uh, what I really like about your story, Lang, is that uh, first of all, uh, was your own perseverance and 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 heroic perseverance and trust that you know things would turn out good despite this uh, tragic accident that you went through. And uh, two, the other thing is the other heroes in the story. 
um, that you described, the doctors, nurses, rehab therapists, and friends and family who really literally loved and cared for you from the moment you hit, uh, you know, you had this accident and walked out of the ICU. I think it was, well, 60 days, almost 60 days in ICU. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just an amazing uh, story, the power of uh, a true community, kinship, and human connection, and why many of us really do see divine love as the heart of the universe. Mm-hmm. So why don't we, we start at the beginning, Lang, what happened mm-hmm. to you back in tw- 2008 when you were hiking in a canyon outside Las Vegas? Yeah, thanks, Michael. I appreciate that, uh, you know, lovely, uh, heartful introduction. Uh, you know, um, yeah, really good times back in pub theology. I remember those fun days. Uh, so in 2008, uh, I, you know, so I've used this line a few times. I like it. I think it fits, it fits pretty well. So to, to uh, um, paraphrase Ron Burgundy from Anchorman, the Will Ferrell's character, like, so in 2008, I was a pretty big deal. Uh, uh, and, uh, um, and I say that jokingly mostly, you know, but, um, I was in the air force and I was doing really, really well. I was an officer. I taught at the weapons school, which came before top gun and top gun was a copy of weapons school. And, you know, um, no big deal there, but I just like to point that out to my Navy friends. And, <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. So it was, I mean, so I was doing well, I was, you know, on the, the track to, to leadership, to command, to high ranks and things like that. And I loved it. I got to like play with the most uh, advanced uh, both platforms, you know, aircraft and other things as well, toys and, uh, and uh, tacticians, you know, strategists, like, and so that was really kind of super invigorating as far as, you know, your, your mind and all that kind of stuff. And so that was really fun. And then uh, I'd kind of, not kind of, um, gone through a uh, life altering, in many ways, uh, divorce of my daughter's uh, mom, and we're, we remain good friends uh, to this day, which is a real blessing. And kind of on the other side of that, the healing of the other side of that, I was engaged to a lady who lived up in Washington. I was down in uh, Las Vegas uh, for my station in the Air Force. And um, so like, you know, I was like, I was loving life. Like, I mean, I hated life for a little bit during like the whole, won't go into all the, the details of the, the divorce, but like, you know, the, like that was like the first kind of falling apart of my life. And right. kind of on the other side of that, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love life. And I'm so in love with this person, Kate, you know, and uh, my job and the future. And, uh, and so uh, we were distance dating before we were going to get married um, at the time because she lived in Washington and I lived in uh, Vegas. And um, so she flew down for the weekend uh, with her son and uh, over uh, mom- oh, Veterans Day weekend in 2008. And um, so, um, oh, I mean, it's good information. So the last thing, it took a long time to figure it out, that I remember was on Friday before she actually arrived, Friday evening, like kind of at work, there was a fight between some coworkers, not fisticuffs, verbal. And I had to put it out, if you will, and kind of try and get back to a peaceful place now it's the as best I can tell my last memory before what happens uh so they came they visited we have a really fun weekend went to a movie like the whatever Madagascar movie was out then and when when eight had fun my daughter and her son and her and me her and I and uh on Monday so since I had the day off you know and they were they were there we decided to go to Red Rock Canyon so it's just outside Las Vegas it's this gorgeous like beautiful painted red rocks you know um that kind of pan back it's like a a horseshoe kind of bowl type situation so it pans back into like these kind of rocky mountain type of things that are red and you could see people doing rock climbing you know with the ropes and all that kind of on the distance and so it's like a 13 mile horseshoe that you can drive around and then there's you know every half mile or so there's a place you could park and get out and just do a family friendly hike and see you know we'd go there on the weekends my daughter and I and then a few times with Kate uh, um, just to hike and have fun and you'd see people out and about and people picnicking and all that kind of stuff and so we went uh, there on November 10th uh, 2008 Monday um, <clears throat> and we're, we're hiking and uh, Kate's taking pictures and uh, we're having a good time and we kind of it was 
as I understand, as I've been told, it was a place we had been before. We went up kind of around the corner, if you will, kind of doing a, let's see, like a, a 180, but in a horseshoe going upward onto mm -hmm. a plateau, onto a plateau. And so Kate stood a little further back. She was taking pictures. And then the, the, the kiddos were like kind of in the middle of the plateau. And we saw a cave that we wanted to check out. So I was just like, you know, okay, what's the best way to get to the cave? Uh, and so I went and, and I mean, I am not a uh, thrill seeker as in I don't do things that are risky and like have, I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm not excited by heights. Like, you know, right, if, that makes yeah. sense, if that makes sense. So I, I don't, sure. I don't, I never consciously did anything that was going to put me or anybody at risk. Like that never sounded interesting to me. Um, you know, it's like skydiving and things like that even didn't really at that time sound interesting to me. Uh, and so, um, <clears throat> so I went to the kind of the side of the plateau and then sat down and then put my feet like on a, you know, a step down and like stood up and then my feet just slipped out from underneath me and I hit on my bum and then pitched forward. And uh, Kate told me later that it looked like in a sense that something pushed me, but obviously there was nothing physical there. So just however you want to take that or receive that, you know, um, and I tried to catch hold of, you know, the rocks, the gravel, the, you know, there's little plants and things around and I couldn't, and the momentum just carried me off uh, the plateau off the cliff uh, head first. Uh, oh my gosh. Head first. Yeah. Head first. Yeah. Yeah. 30 feet. Uh, oh and I my. hit, I hit head first onto a boulder, which then pitched me, you know, uh, hard in a hard manner back onto another, another boulder. Uh, so it's almost like, a, you know, I got the double bang on both sides of my head. All of the front side was by far the worst. Um, so so how many how many miles were you from you know the trailhead at this point this when you, this happened oh yeah not not far i mean you know with within a mile of okay the car yeah so right so uh what happened after that you you you, you fell head first on a yeah. rock Pretty yeah bad yeah stuff. yeah 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 so um so kate was coming she got the kids settled and they didn't see me impact they just saw me disappear oh they didn't um, see you impact wow. yeah so but she was further back so she saw me impact and saw my sunglasses just explode in a million pieces uh -huh. and you know the hitting back and then the limpness and so she got the kid settled and she's like i don't know if he's alive i don't know if he's dead and so like um we were um fans of rob bell uh who at the time was a uh, pastor at Mars Hill out in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, not anyway, uh, not the Seattle Mars Hill, but right. <laughs> um, yep, yep, yep. yeah. Uh, and so um, he had, uh, the person he had worked for the uh, previous launching the church to help them launch the church had started sometime speaking there. Ed Dobson, I think is his name. So, and uh, um, is the father of Ken Dobson who's written some books later and things like that. And um, I know uh, I won't bunny rabbit trail too far on that. So he gave a sermon about um, a prayer that like, when you don't know what to pray, like, you know, this was what she remembered. When you don't know what to play, pray, Jesus have mercy, Jesus have mercy, Jesus have mercy, like, you know, kind of the Jesus prayer. And so that's what came to her mind. She's like, God have mercy, Jesus have mercy, Christ have mercy, like the whole way down. She was just praying that, have mercy, yeah, right, have mercy, right, have, mercy yeah. have mercy, have mercy. Yeah, right. Um, and it, like, you know, and I love that prayer so much. And um, and so she got to me and I was still breathing and she was, I think, somewhat surprised by that, but uh, happy, of course, uh, and uh, was like calling for help and screaming for help. And yeah. um, interestingly, a uh, lady who I later met officially and know, and her name is Julie, uh, um, she was celebrating her birthday, visiting with her uh, then husband, from Missouri um, and uh, they just were looking around standing somewhere and he's like, oh my God, or something, you know, I, I don't know if they both saw me, but I think for sure, at least he did, uh, like you saw me fall, right? And like, and they're like, and oh my gosh, we gotta go help. And so she happened in, uh, in a sense, like as William Paul Young, the author of The Shack says like that he doesn't, he believes that coincidence has a name 
like is what he says, uh, you know, uh, and, I, and I, I would be biased the same way. So coincidentally, quote unquote, she was a respiratory therapist working in an ER. So she was super familiar, familiar with traumatic life-threatening wow, life situations. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, at some point in that process, uh, I stopped breathing. So Kate, I can't remember if it was before Julie got there or not, but so just I'll put them together because it doesn't matter. Uh, Julie gets there and uh, her ex-husband goes up and takes care of the kids beautifully, amazingly. And they get me situated to so as not to like more damage my back, but not to like continue to damage my back if there was damage or neck type mm -hmm. deal and to help me breathe if I could breathe. And, and at some point I stopped breathing. So Kate gave me mouth to mouth and Julie coached her through it. And I was bleeding out all the things, my eyes, my mouth and my ears. Really? Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. And one ear, the, or one ear, one eye was the orbit was shattered. So yeah. the, the eye was out of the socket. So if you, you know, if you see, you I mean, obviously you've seen me, but anybody who sees pictures of me, the crooked eye was out of the socket. Right. <laughs> and that's why yeah. it's, that's why that's it's crooked. Amazing. Right. Yeah. And so she gave me mouth to mouth. Uh, and then I, I uh, finally started breathing again. Uh, and then, so she stopped and as you would, and then Julie's like, oh, uh, you, you gotta keep going because uh, he's not breathing deeply enough to actually nourish his brain. So he, I mean, he'll survive and all that kind of stuff because he's breathing, but um, you know, if you don't give him mouth to mouth, more brain damage could happen because, you know. Wow, that's a very important piece of information. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So we, we called her uh, Julie Angel. That became her nickname. Oh, that's a great name. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so how did they, you know, how, how long did it take for uh, an ambulance uh, to come to get you back to get you into to, on the way to the hospital? Yeah, I think that it's one, it's one of those situations where um, time stands still and right. you don't really have a concept of time. Was it three I mean it wasn't at all three hours but like was it three hours or was it five minutes I don't know like you know that kind of situation because it's just you're so uh adrenalized right and um so I would best guess that I have is like 20 minutes or so okay. of uh and so the the process was other people came to help including some uh people probably from like central Europe because they were speaking language people nobody understood and uh, he ended up like having an episode and like fainting and stuff like that. Oh <laughs> and Julie's like, oh my God, can this get any worse? Like, yeah, you know, right, he, right. Yeah, did so, did someone and, carry you back to the car, to a car or what? what or did, Yeah, did, yeah. So, um, uh, so like park ranger, EMT and things like that got there and better stabilized me and got me prepared. Okay, and they, I, right. uh, Yeah, they couldn't, the driving and all, just because of the severity and this and the location uh medevac was the best option medevac was the best yeah option. yeah 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 so they flew a helicopter out there and got me on the stretcher and I put see. me on the helicopter and then you know whisked me off to uh, university medical center in in las vegas and then so uh julie then drove kate in presumably in my car um because that's what we drove there in uh you know to the to the the hospital um and um met met me there so right so the i mean you you really um in your book you really describe this the whole narrative very well um you know what what happens i i, the, I really like the way you did it in the book where you you kind of you give a some background you, you you talk about the initial accident and then you give some backstory and then come back to how you know what happened after that and so, I mean, we, 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 I know from reading the book that you were in ICU for almost two months, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing. And there were ups and downs and so forth when you were in the hospital. Um, but, but apparently you did not remember anything uh, for the longest time. What, what, you know, w when did you start remembering something? Did you, and what did you remember in the accident, if anything? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and in a super weird reality, <laughs> and uh, that uh, yeah, I, um, so I don't remember anything uh, mentally, if you will. I'm sure my body has memory um, of the accident, uh, you know. So I don't have any of that. Uh, so trauma. when you describe when you describe how you um, lost your balance on the trail and went over the cliff. 
is someone someone else told you that happened or did you have an actual memory of that was that the last thing you remembered yeah no yeah kate told me all that yeah. so you didn't even remember that part no yeah wow wow it's amazing mm -hmm. you didn't even remember you know what was the last thing you remembered i guess is the question yeah so that was on a monday and then uh the friday night previously i was the director of operations in a small little uh organization and uh you know unit in vegas and so um we I, I we had just started like a friday night you know happy hour kind of thing it's it's a, it's a at least the air force has a pretty good tradition in flying squadrons at least of doing this like friday mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you gather at you have a bar place in the in the unit and you go there and you drink together and you hang out kind of like work's done and you're just joking and have a little bit of fun and then you go home for the weekend right you know so we had started doing that and uh um one person and another person had a uh, con a verbal loud conflict that worked for me. So then, uh, you know, I had to kind of try and go. Oh, I mean, yeah, you that described down. that before. Yeah. Are you saying yeah. that was the la that was the yep. last thing you remembered Fri on a Friday night? Yep. Yep. And the yep. accident was on Monday. So that's amazing. Yep. I mean, you forgot yeah. pretty much the whole weekend and the and the accident itself. Yeah. And, then, and yeah, interestingly, and on the forgetting the the weekend. Uh, cause we did like go, Kate told me we went and saw the, the Madagascar movie that was out then. I think it's the one that it doesn't matter, but whatever one was released in 2008, we went and saw it in the theater. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in inpatient rehab and, uh, it, when it came out on DVD, somebody had it and we watched it and I'm like, Oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember that. I like, I created this story yes. in my head, like of that. I had seen it in some other context i that they showed like a 15 minute clip during the super bowl that was the story i created in my head but like i i remembered seeing the movie but i didn't remember seeing didn't, the movie like right, you, know, you, you didn't remember when you re saw the yeah, movie whatever. yeah 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 <laughs> you didn't yeah. remember the context when you yeah, saw the movie yeah 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 exactly that's amazing yeah. so yeah. um so then i mean let's just kind of think about this from your perspective uh, when did you actually start remembering things? You, okay, you, you lost your memory on a Friday. The accident happened yeah. on a Monday. You were in ICU for 60 days. When did you kind of like wake up at an ICU and go, oh, I'm in, IC I'm in a hospital? Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah, great question. And again, super interesting. Like the, I mean, in, in this, for the two months, so I, I missed two months. Uh, two months. You actually yeah. cannot remember for two months. Wow. Yep, exactly. And so for during that two months, though, I, I mean, aside from that, those normal, quote unquote, three days before the accident, you know, uh, I was communicative. I was conscious. I was aware. I walked and things like that. But I don't remember any of it in part because of the nature of the injury. But also, I think maybe even more because of they get drugs that they were giving me had amnesic effect to them. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like almost every day, uh, you know, my sister, Leah, Kate, you know, uh, they were the main two people there the longest, but then all sorts of like friends like, you know, uh, Martha and Sarah and like just all sorts of amazing Matt and, you know, all friends that visited me, Josh, um, they would have to tell me like, uh, why I was there like every day, you know, almost because I wouldn't remember. And so then, yeah. So it was kind of like a, a, like an Alzheimer's patient or yeah. something where mm -hmm. you, they, every day yeah. was like new and yeah. And yeah. yeah. So, and so, so June, yeah, January, ahead. January 7th. So the accident was November 10th, January 7th. Uh, we left uh, university medical center in Vegas, uh, in I went in an ambulance uh, to go to Palo Alto to the VA medical center there for inpatient rehab. And my first memory is super, super foggy and surreal in the back of an ambulance, like oh. looking up, up and out because I was laying down oh, in the back of an ambulance. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so that was the first memory was the uh, being transferred to the rehab location. Yeah. After two mm -hmm. months in ICU. Yeah. But of course, like you said, um, there were I mean, I guess one of the questions is then when were you um, as far, far as the people that were caring for you? When did you become in their world, become, you know, a conscious and and engaging with them after the accident? Um, well, I think that like 
like, you know, uh, it was a pretty quick as far as. So you weren't out like, you know, unconscious for a long time, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, it was within a day of, you know, of the accident, there was, okay. you know, yeah. there was, yeah, response. There was you were re response and you were talking. And yeah. Then, right. yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah. First response. And then um, not, not, I think I was, tr I was trach, I was mostly trached and things like that. So couldn't, there was times when I could talk, but a lot of times, so I don't think I could have talked, but I was, you know, expressive, right. you know, pretty, pretty quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I think about what this is like and, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a, in, in some ways I, you might think of it as a blessing in disguise that you can't remember some mm -hmm. of the, some of the things, because it would have been just more trauma to, you know, to go through in your mind. Um, but it must've been very challenging afterward uh, when you finally recovered to be it, to, to go back and have people tell you what happened. And what was mm -hmm. that like just to think, you know, okay, this happened to you and this happened to you and you did this and you said this and you're like, what, how could <laughs> that really happen? Right. You know, yeah. that must've been very strange. What was that like? Yeah, 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 <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, uh, two things that like really stand out to me. One is like the then and, and the other is like the later. Um, and uh, the one is that I remember um, walking one day, so it was decently far into the um, the rehab process because I had to relearn how to walk and things, which is super weird. Um, that I was Kate and I were talking, and I was like, "Okay, stop! Like, tell me what really happened," because like this whole thing of like me somehow falling off a cliff because like knowing myself I'm like there's no way I fell off a cliff that's ridiculous this did not happen like it was something in the military that I was doing something secret spooky or whatever I don't know why I mean I even I was involved in those things but not like in a like you know where I'm like a CIA person special ops person you know on the ground type way but like I was like uh, anyway my the best story I could come up with was that something happened in the military and I was doing something secret and nobody could know, but come on, you gotta be able to tell me, right? Like, and that, and that's, right. and, and then in that right. I was injured traumatically somehow. And then this is the cover story, you know, uh, because it would just seem so, so surreal to me. It did, yeah, that, it must've that been. Something right. that maybe even sounds more surreal to you seemed more plausible, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, right. Um, and, uh, and I, so there was that, and then, you know, her and my sister and, you know, everybody reassured me, no, this is what happened, uh, you know, and uh, so I, uh, I, the the other thing that stands out to me of that, in a, that in a, a beautiful way is that, uh, you know, I think back to the sacred story. So a good friend of mine, Danny uh, Donahue, uh, he uh, calls the Bible the text, he calls it the sacred story. And I really like that, uh, the way that that, uh, yeah, I just like it. And uh, is that, you know, we see within there that part of the Hebrew, the Jewish tradition is that annually they tell the history of their people and they live into the history of their people. So I felt like, and this is a recent revelation, I feel like that the gift of Kate and my sister, a little bit my daughter, a little bit my ex son in law, you know, my mom, my dad, my other dad, stepdad, you know, and my uncle, you know, my friends like Matt and Kevin, like these dear, amazing friends and Scott and uh, like them retelling me my story that I literally had no remembrance of was this amazing gift of like of life again, of like, re of remembering the sacredness of this time, of remembering um, the sorrow of this time of like that to me, like to be able to like, kind of like, I hope that lands and makes sense. Like it really means something to me. So I hope it lands and makes sense. Is, yeah, is, right. Is that, yeah, what do you think? Expound or is that, does that sound like a good? No, no, it's just, yeah, I can see how it would be so, um... I mean, it was like two things happening. You've got the, okay, I, I don't remember the details of this traumatic event. 
um, that was very violent and you know you had to su you suffered through it but at that same time you've got family and friends telling you the story of what happened and and you know you've got this this, this history and and witness of of what really happened you know when i read your book folks we're talking about uh lang charter's book falling into love he uh fell off a uh 30 foot cliff and uh had a traumatic brain injury a very serious one and i when i read your book lang i didn't have i didn't have the pictures <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah so now you gave me a copy of your book the other day and now i'm look i just now i'm looking at the pictures and oh, yeah. it is incredible. Uh, you can see the cliff where you fell. You can see the helicopter taking you off. And then you can see pictures of you in the hospital uh, with, you know, the scar on your head and, and uh, tubes all mm -hmm. over the place. And uh, I mean, kind of looking like Frankenstein almost. I mean, it's really incredible. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And then the rehab and starting to walk and, and, uh, oh, some yeah, of the, yeah. and then I'm starting to see some of the, the medical personnel that were caring for you or mm -hmm. and, and then your family and your friends. And so, I mean, I think that's one of the powerful things about your story is how um, this community of people, and I'm gonna say it was not just, you know, you've got some ch church friends and you've got some family and other friends and you've got the medical staff that uh, is part of our amazing modern medicine and society that, here, someone has this traumatic accident in a remote place, and you can actually call a helicopter to come and pick you up. And someone who happens to be there actually has some medical expertise to give really good advice in the beginning mm -hmm. to keep you alive. And yeah. then you go off to this intensive care unit where these people who work with trauma patients all the time know what to do and how to care for you and how to, you know, literally bring you back from the brink of death. It's just amazing. So, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I guess my question is, you know, what uh, the, the love of your family and the friends and, you, and the people that helped you recover um, really had it, uh, uh, is an amazing part of your story. What, what were two or three things that stood out to you as, you know, some of the sacrificial loving uh, things that people did for you that really made a difference? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to actually narrow it down to two or three. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of things. Yeah, give us an yeah. idea, but you know. What yeah, was... for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that uh, one is just that, you know, within 24 hours, you know, because uh, nobody, but uh, well, family-wise, nobody lived near, and like best friend, except for like my best friends in the Air Force, uh, like you know, civilian best friends, like wise, nobody lived near, and uh, uh, like everybody who could, including uh, you know, um, one of my uncles, that like with like so from like grandma to parents to sister, you know, to like kind of that immediate-ish family and immediate-ish friends, like everybody was there everybody like they yeah, could right. everybody yeah. that could i mean one friend like he it hurts him to this day he was in singapore and he's like oh, i i should have i like no i was like dude no you couldn't like you literally couldn't like you know because yeah. he's working and stuff like that you know and um uh so it just like that it's so moving to be loved so well you know mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and yeah yeah seeing and, everyone be there for you yeah and really um showing you love and and yeah that must have been remarkable um, yeah so were there were there any uh people that stood out in the in the hospital that really uh i mean i know you don't have the memory of it i mean but yeah, maybe yeah, you ran yeah. the rehab but yeah. but were there were there like were your friends who we who told the story back to you say yeah yeah you know th these people really were amazing how they cared for you and they did x y and z what was what were some of those people yeah like uh all right i was i'm gonna say four quick things mm -hmm. uh, uh four quick people so one so there's this janitor uh, i can't remember his name it's like i think it's maybe it might be stacy but spelled the boy boy's way but it's in the book it says what it, he says it um he was the janitor in my room and i scared him one night but like and so him and kate in this conversation 
of so he's like in there with me all the time right you know and and he just basically said like Kermit that's what they call me because that was my call sign in the Air Force so they call most everybody called me Kermit mm -hmm. uh, include the medical people and all that um like Kermit is just a good spirit like he's I I know he's going to be okay like you know he's like he's like I, I pray to God like you know I hear I feel I listen like you know those things he's like I know he's going to be okay like so there's this this guy that I didn't know at all right you know I could never recognize or say anything other than he's in the book right that yeah. uh, <laughs> um that had this loving energy presence prayer uh thought for me and was around me all the time you know interesting yeah that's great yeah and um yeah and then just and even like beyond her my experience of social workers especially in the hospitals that's mostly been my experience really but as i just spend they're so amazing they're so incredible they do so much for people to help people thrive and heal and flourish like so pam the social worker there was just incredible like just you know i mean she found my best friend in the air force uh given just his first name like you know when we got to the, the hospital she's like what somebody whatever people you want me to contact she's like uh, kate's like josh I don't know his last name. I met him once. That's all I know. They worked together in the Air Force. She found him. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, that she did, like, you know, as far as caring for, you know, mostly then she cared for Kate, like in my family and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, like, with that, like, Kate, you know, I mean, she was visiting. Uh, and so she decided to stay. I mean, and, you know, um, I think it was one of the most loving things ever. It was so Christ-like that, you know, cause, because her staying meant that she lost her job because she stayed there for two months. Wow, uh, yeah. yeah. Right. And then, and she lost her house because mm -hmm. she had bought her first house ever and couldn't mm -hmm. make the mortgage payments because she lost her job. Wow. What a uh, yeah, and was separated for the most of the part time from her son. Cause you know, he had to come back home to, and you know, split time with his dad but like she wasn't there to you know do the splitting and stuff like that and so you know just how loving and kind and giving and amazing it was for her to sacrifice all of that just for the sake of me you know for I mean right. not just for me it was at the time it was for us for sure um you know uh you know and just that was so incredible and kind of with that like with that hardship you know just uh and I won't you know the, so many people helped her like she, she probably never would have, I, I know she, I ate out sometimes, you know, with friends and things like that, but she, I bet she could have eaten the whole time without paying a dime because people brought so Right. Much so people were helping her. her as she yeah. was helping you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so um, Dustin and Hope, they were uh, leaders of a small group that I had been going to kind of that last year at my church that I went to out there, Valley Bible Fellowship. It was, uh, or just maybe Valley Bible. I think I might be conflating the Valley Bible Church in mm -hmm. Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, VBF. No, it was Valley Bible Fellowship. It was VBF. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think, anyway, I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> but right. sorry. Uh, um, so they went there as small group leaders and I had been their small group and they came and visited me regularly as did uh, so the pastors and everything. And um, the, all they did was just hear that Kate was short on finances and ability to you know, take care of her bills and herself and things like that because of not having a job or anything. And they prayed and uh, came separately and then came together and like, well, like, well, what do you think? Like, well, $500, $500. So like, like the spirit said to each of them, five, give $500. And they brought, you know, gave $500 to, to Kate to help her in that time. And she, like, just that generosity and that willingness to like, listen, to like, listen two ways, like listen to deeply to people and what they're going through and how can you aid them in that journey? How can you bless them? How can you heal them? How can you nurse them? And then listening to however you define it. I mean, I say spirit, I say God, I say Jesus, I say, I mean, all those things resonate with me, like what are, you know, but there's other ways you could say that. You listen to something bigger that whispers in our souls to say, do this. You know, yeah. like kind of is that, you know, um, yeah. That's interesting. So you, it seems like you're, most of the ones you're describing are, are, are people who, who, um, not, uh, who helped you um, spiritually, emotionally, mentally recover and all the people who helped each other doing all that mm. because it took a team of whole people. And, you, and like you said, Kate had to basically 
make a lot of sacrifices to care for you during those during those two months. Yeah. But, and and then um, and then you, and then you went into rehab uh, for a number of months too. Is there any medical personnel that stood out to you that were like amazing, you know, amazing, and how how they uh, cared for you, and also just the expertise of of the medical uh, of modern medicine? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's again hard to pick from uh, uh, yeah, it's the people. A lot. Uh, like, yeah, sure for it's sure. A lot, right. You know, I'd say like uh, another. Um, John, uh, he's a vision rehab specialist. And so kind of the other half of the main injuries among the injuries uh, is, is, uh, is my vision. Uh, so um, I lost all my peripheral vision. So I basically have 50% less of a field of view of a regular person. I think oh, I pay okay. off a bit, but, um, and I have no depth perception because my, the vision of my two eyes don't overlap at all anymore. Even oh. if they straighten them, they wouldn't overlap. So I don't have uh, stereo vision with my eyes. So I literally have no depth perception. Um, so John helped me like, and I, and I followed up the next summer with another month there at the Western visual rehab, blind, Western blind rehab center at the VA and uh, um, down in, Pal you know, there in Palo Alto. And so uh, he helped me like relearn how to navigate life really i mean in a safe way like you know traffic lights and stop signs oh, and, I see. you yeah. know and like you know and then later as i kind of like had some time like walking in crowds like what you know without just like bumping every person because if you're missing 50 percent of your vision you're just not used yeah to, it's a big difference and like and it's hard to be balanced when you don't have depth perception and right so um, right so there's a lot of things that you know it wasn't like you just woke up one day okay i'm back to normal you, i mean there were mm -hmm. things that were never going to be back to normal and you needed to, yeah. people to to teach you how to live life that way that's that's amazing mm -hmm. um uh i want to pivot a little bit but um i guess uh one of my last questions on 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 the accident was how how has the experience made you a more grateful person? How has that impacted you? Yeah, um, I think that very similarly to the same way that like following my first divorce, like I described that I was like, just like in this place of super stoked to be alive and things. Like, mm -hmm. so in a real way, I experienced a death, right? And then I experienced a resurrection. That's the pattern. I think that that's what, uh, it, like Christ, I think, shows us that's not just hopefully when we breathe our last breath and then after that, hopefully, but also for sure, it's during life we have death, resurrection, death, resurrection. And so I had experienced that um, previously. Uh, and so I thought that um, coming out of this, just the appreciation for, I mean, life period, for each breath, for each view of a beautiful tree, for each, you know, sunset, for each, uh, you know, uh, kind act done by a person, you know, just so much more appreciation than I had before of just yeah. all those, all those small, amazing things, these miracles that happened before our eyes, all the freaking time and we yeah, forget it right and, and like, we take them for granted we take them yeah, for granted yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i imagine yeah. that must be the case uh I, you know going through uh i mean it's just like sometimes you know uh we're, we're woken up uh when we get sick or something and then mm -hmm. you know um recently we had fire smoke in our area for 10 days straight and then boy do, did i appreciate the fresh air when it came <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 you're like oh i take this for granted right mm -hmm. so at that that part really must be uh, uh, amazing to uh to kind of go through that transformation and i guess that would be one of the uh the silver linings of your experience that you come out and you grow, you sound, sounds like you've grown spiritually, you've grown to be a more grateful person. And, and uh, I, I know you to be a very upbeat and positive person. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't think there's, uh, I've never seen you really struggle with anything that I could see. Um, I'm sure you still have those, but I imagine there's just a different perspective on life after this experience that you've had. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Um, one of the things that you that came out in the book um, was uh, you you know you were in the Air Force, you were in the weapons school, uh, you were a graduate of the weapons school, and you know there's this there's this culture in the military of preparing for war and sometimes going to war. And you ask these questions, um, you know, one of the things you, you described in the book was that you kind of learned um, how to have more empathy for people. And, you know, you're asking the question of, uh, are our wars that the, uh, our country, the US supports and implements, are they compatible with Jesus' command to, to love our enemies? And um, I think you talk about uh, the author uh, Greg Boyd as an, uh, having having an influence on you. Um, so I guess the question is, um, you know, how do you answer this question about you know whether our military uh, approach to solving world problems is that compa compatible with following the love ethic of Jesus? That is an awesome question. Uh, you know, I, I think, and I want to say this in a, as best I can, in a way that honors um, just any person like who goes, or especially Christians, you know, but like any person really who thinks that violence and, you know, war and, uh, you know, things like that are the only option. Like, you know, usually that would be described as like, it's a fallen world, you know, like you got to kind of make some compromises given that, you know, Jesus does, God does, you know, things along those lines. I mean, I, I could go on further, but I don't want to, or I don't think, hopefully I don't need to. I just want to say this with all grace towards anybody who feels that way, because I did. And I, I'm not saying I'm better or anything than right. Yeah, do. I mean, right. We all but, grow up. We we yeah. all grow up with it. It's all it's yeah. ingrained in our, in our culture. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure, absolutely. From, from the to, movies we watch to oh you know, yeah, to the way we talk about you know the love of our country and defending our country, etc. No, and I just yeah, I wrote a quick blog for me anyway four or five hundred words a quick blog for me uh this week uh well i'm trying to be better and just making that but anyway there was basically about that like about just that it was about this journey that i had from that like i i am 100 percent, a thousand percent convinced that jesus path like we i mean we have this title for him prince of peace Okay, and then I'm going to go to war in the name of the Prince of Peace. What? Like, you know, and we've done yeah, this for thousands right. of years. We've done this for thousands of years. And I thought it was okay. I thought it was normal because I think that's what we've been brainwashed to think and view. And again, all grace and everything to people who disagree and things. I just think Jesus is so super clear about uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile you know, love all people who's, well, who, or love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is this person that you hate and they, is your, you think is your enemy. And like, you know, like, because we're all neighbors. So love everybody. Like, you know, I mean, this message that comes up over and over and over and over again, like if you have eyes to see it, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? Like my whole life, you know, uh, like I've, you know, this is, this is the way of, of Jesus, which was a very, tense well it was becoming a very tense moment because i was realizing this before the accident when i was still in the military and oh right you do... were yeah you were dealing with this before the accident yeah i was planning to do 20 years so i was like uh i, I you know literally was like okay god um but like what i do i'm not actually pulling the trigger on anybody like you know that kind of thing it's not direct killing like we can be cool with this for 11 more years right you know exactly <laughs> yeah right i'm not kill, i'm not uh i'm not uh using the weapons i'm just helping make and train people to use them you know? <laughs> yeah yeah um wow that's yeah that you know it's a tough question i uh, i just i i'm very curious to you know to hear from people in the military who, who 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 are rethinking uh violence and and the justification for war etc well yeah when, yeah, and, and just also, I'm very fascinated with um, uh, my study of history and how uh, most of us 
who are brought up in Christian uh, culture, whether that's fundamentalist, evangelical, or even mainline Christian culture, mainline churches, uh, we don't really know all the history of of the Christian of the of the Jesus movement of the first mm-hmm. century, and that yeah. uh, most uh, of the early Christians and followers of Jesus were pacifists overwhelmingly not just you know 60 yeah. percent i mean like 98 99 percent they yeah. were pacifists and they mm-hmm. that was that that was the part of the way of jesus um uh you know that that the 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 connection or the um uh the agreement between the church and and the military didn't come until the second and and uh, third and fourth century when it started yeah. to happen. So uh, it's 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 a fascinating question. Um, you, yeah, you're kind of a fan story. of Greg. You're, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead and add yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, on the Greg Boyd, yeah, like in the, in the adding on. So Greg Boyd, you know, uh, author, pastor, uh, who I just opened my eyes to this and he continues to do it. Like in, he's, and he's a brilliant and so geeky and studied and all that kind of stuff, you know, in history and all that kind of thing. And he said that, you know, in Christianity, we're known for not agreeing on things. Like we don't agree on anything hardly, right? But universally, basically, basically universally for the first 200 years of Christianity, they agreed that nonviolence was the path of Jesus, was the way of Christ. Like right. that was like one of the things that they actually basically all, you know, agreed on. And uh, and so like, as I started having my eyes open to that, like, you know, and I had been a supporter of going to war in Iraq. I went to an war, I went to war in Iraq. I was there for, you know, that, that initial part, the initial few, first few months to after we won, quote unquote. Um, but um, that, uh, you think about it from their perspective, even the worst of them perspective, but also all the other ones who suffer, the millions who suffer, because even though it's not their perspective, but like, just think of like, okay, so we have bases, hundreds of bases around the world as a military in countries that are not our own. What would mm-hmm. we think of somebody else at a military base in our country? Okay, take mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, we are taking oil from them and we're doing, We've done things to manipulate their economies for hundred for you know tens of hundreds of years. We've overthrown governments. Like, you know, like, you know, think about that. Like, what if that had happened to us? Like, and think about that we've, you know, we still have a military over there. Like, you know, just uh, all these things that we do to them that we take for granted because that's what the empire does, that's what America does, that's what it's like to be us. But if that was done to us, would we not be kind of pissed? Would we not like potentially do something really violent and terrible like you know like some of the terrorist bombings and events and things like that you know would we not can we not see how you can get to there from what we've done to them like you know and just having that understanding and empathy you know that is so key and helpful to allow me to love my enemies you know yeah i think that's Um, very true yeah without without justifying violence in it it just mm -hmm. being able to understand why yeah um are uh perpetuating a cycle of violence Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's just you know it it, if you study uh the history of of uh western civilization and the world you'll you'll just you come across it over and over again Mm -hmm. uh and when you look at some of the wars that we've done that um uh they're more obvious that they probably weren't worthy like vietnam uh, it just becomes very obvious why, you know, this uh, approach to solving <laughs> the world's problems with uh, with violence and the power of the military uh, does more harm than good in the long run. But it's a mm-hmm. it's a debate, you know. I mean, you know, we have it's a very difficult question. Um, but uh, I think it's true that uh, Christianity uh, in the beginning. Uh, it really was f- focused on nonviolence, uh, love your enemy, and that was really the one of the key um, keys of of the way of G- of Christ was uh, uh, you know, the Jewish culture, uh, the Jewish people. Uh, they were uh, very violent, and the Romans were very violent. And this mm-hmm. was a counterculture that Jesus introduced. Uh, that it wasn't uh, 
the kind of pacifism where you're cowering in the corner and you're weak, but it was actually a very courageous pacifism where you were willing mm -hmm. to lay down your life, which is what he meant yeah. by, in my mind, by take up your cross. Yeah. Uh, because if you're if you're a pacifist, the way he's calling us to be one, you know, you're you're you you have to be willing to to lay down your life uh, yeah. or or suffer for your pacifism. So, mm -hmm. um, another thing I wanted to ask you was. Um, you know, you've kind of gone through a spiritual evolution. I think you uh, you were at one point in your walk was were a much more conservative Christian. Um, what are some of the major lessons you've learned in your spiritual evolution coming out of conservative Christianity? Yeah, uh, yes, that is is all true. Uh, and uh, um, I would like the the first thing that comes to mind was just actually I hadn't thought of it in this way, but uh, my wife Lisa and I were talking about it last night, uh, and uh, that there's something of uh, so I'll I'll tell the story. I think the story I think the story land. I think what I'm going to say lands better with this little story. So when I when I got my MDiv, my Master's of Divinity, when I was, we read this article from from a book, you know, just so just a chapter from a book that they you know, Xerox for us, if you will, and let, had us read. And it talked about this, uh, this nun uh, was uh, sharing how uh, this other nun of hers was going to transfer convents or whatever. I might be getting the details wrong, but the, the gist of that is true. And uh, she thought it was a bad idea and the wrong thing for her to do. So she kept praying day after day after day after day, God, tell her to tell her to not go. God, tell her to not go. It's the wrong thing. It's not the best move. It's not the most loving thing. Da, da, da. And then finally, one day she heard spirit say, um, why don't you tell her? Like, you know, uh, and so just that whole like, oh my gosh, like, you know, sometimes a lot of times, like, you know, you know, it, there was a re we're the answer to the prayers like and so prayers aren't something that are just like magically you know uh the line is pulled and reality has changed prayers are something that people do and are the answers to the prayers because we're the body of christ right you know and so we are not just the prayer the prayer we're also the 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 prayer um doer if you will kind of type mm -hmm, thing and so mm -hmm. kind of you know and then that brings you into i think like a a, a a greater desire um just like a wanting to to be the answer by giving time money uh, interest attention to the poor the hurting the the ostracized the the uh the minority, you know, and all the different ways that that shows up, like, and being able to be the person that actually, you know, makes our big prayers, you know, become uh, something that is actually happening in the world, you know, um, type deal. Yeah, so. right. So, I mean, one of the observations that I've had was that in my conservative Christian background, um, prayer and kind of like the way people, um, uh, envision God or try to communicate with God, it's very transactional. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, um, if I, if I do certain things, if I become more spiritual, if I obey the Bible, if I do this, then God will answer my prayers. And so you pray and you, and, and you're, you're waiting for God to do something, but you're also, um, uh, you know, uh, have to get, have to, you know, have, have, the. Uh, uh, the right to be heard by God. You have to be, you know, be the good person or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and all right, right. And so, you know, you're, you're describing like, well, you know, you don't have to uh, wait around for God to do something. You can, you can step in and, and, and be an answer to people. You can step in and love people. You can step in and do things. And, you know, I believe God still speaks to us and, and leads us and, and does things. Uh, but, you know, at what point is it just uh, a magical, do we treat it like a magical thing? And at what point do you think just, you know, God's already working in the world and doing things and we're and in us and love is mm -hmm. in us. And we just want to tap into that channel and, and go along and, and, and work on that, on, in that path. So um, mm -hmm. very interesting. Um, uh, so, uh, one of the other things is that you are a yoga instructor and, um, I, I really like the way you, uh, in the book, you kind of brought out some of the things and, 
in your yoga experience. What, what is some yoga wisdom that you could share with our audience today? Yeah, like I think that, um, trying to think of like a, two things, so I'll say two things. One, uh, you know, as a, a guy who's just, you know, still like, I, and I, I wouldn't even say so, I say evermore, gaga for Jesus, um, that uh, the way of yoga, which we generally think of yoga, uh, and I don't want to belittle anybody, it doesn't matter. We generally think of yoga as this physical thing, right? And so that mm-hmm. that's, but that's just an aspect of it. So mm-hmm. there's eight, I mean, there's variations of yoga, but basically there's eight aspects of yoga. Um, and the physical part, the asana is just one. And so kind of without going into all the other ones, but a couple of them are like some ways of being and thinking in the world. Mm-hmm. And like, and they are so Jesus, like, and they're, they're, you know, they're this, these ways to be kind, kind, loving, peaceful, I see, okay. you know, life giving presences in the world. And so mm-hmm. I love that, that symmetry, you know, uh, so the, between... so the yoga, the yoga teaching is very compatible with the way of Jesus and even, you know, reflective of it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I love the harmony of that. And I'd say uh, kind of with that, like, you know, one of the things that you w- would maybe like a lot, you know, good number of people to think about when they think of yoga um, is that, you know, uh, it's about oneness and about how we're all one, like, you know, and which uh, increasingly makes sense to me. And um, what I mean by that is you look at John 17, the longest prayer that Jesus gives in the Bible, and, you know, it's very uh, Eastern, if you will, in that it's very yogic and that he said, you know, I pray that they be one as you and I are one and you and me and me and you and, you know, and this, this flow of interconnectedness and like, um, and that the way that we are so alike and but we're so also interdependent, the way our, our thoughts, our doings, our actions affect each other in such a the intimate crazy amazing way and that when we kind of um the more i realize that interconnectedness and that oneness of of all of us with and i think that includes god uh that oh my gosh life just becomes so joyous and uh amazing and and also calm and centered and you know and um, wonderful. So like, I think that like the yoga just kind of invites us to see ourselves in the other, to see ourselves in the trees, to see the trees in us, to, to, to see how the air that we breathe is air that was exhaled by Napoleon and the Buddha and, you know, and most in the, our atoms come from stars, like, you know, because from the Bangalore kind of stuff, you know, and like, just realize how interconnected we all are and how, yeah, and just, I, to me, that helps the walls go down, that helps the boundaries go down, that helps me be more kind and loving and accepting and giving and understanding and curious and um, interested and, yeah maybe secure and in, in that the mm-hmm. universe works and we're, we're all connected. That's, mm-hmm. that's very good. Um, so we've run out of time, but I uh, want to thank you for joining us today. Um, folks, the book is called Falling into Love, The Transformative Power of Community. And uh, you can find it on Amazon. Um, Lang has really uh, done a great job sharing uh, how this accident really taught him how, um, you know, the best things in life really aren't achieving uh, wealth and fame, but falling into the love of the universe, the love of God and the love of other people. So uh, thanks Lang for joining us. Um, if you, uh, do you have a website or is this just the, the book is just on Amazon? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that question, Michael. Uh, yeah, I do have a fancy new website uh, for, my blogging, my booking, my yoga oh, teaching, good. you know, and eventually I'm going to be a life coach is what I'm studying when I'm getting, working on my doctorate for. Um, so yeah. And so it's uh lightlovelang.com. So 
all okay, together. Lightlovelang.com. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. we'll, ch we'll check that out and get people to we'll put that on the the um, summary of our, our podcast. Yeah. Great. So that's it for today. We've had a great conversation with Lang Charters, and we want to thank, thank everyone for joining us. We've got some uh, great episodes coming up. I'm getting ready to have an interview with Bart Campolo, uh, the humanist and son of Tony Campolo. That will be coming up hopefully within uh, a few weeks. So thanks everyone for joining us and in your brew pub of choice, enjoy responsibly. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.